In this two-part series, healthcare providers join the conversation with QSource to talk about Candida Auris. This series will discuss the experiences with Candida Auris and how providers deal with it, as well as how it affects their families. This is part one of the two-part series. Hello, this is Don Gettinger with QSource. I'm a quality improvement specialist and talking today with Dr. Adam Andres about Candida Auris. Dr. Andres, please describe your work and background for us. Sure. First of all, thanks for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. I'm coming to you today as the co-owner and operator of Acute Rehab Medicine Specialists, or better known as ARMS out in the community. We service over a dozen skilled nursing facilities in the area and provide medical directorship and provider staffing to the facilities. Beyond that, I'm also the medical director of the Franciscan Hospitalist Group in Mooresville. What area of Indiana are you in? Yeah, mostly central Indiana. The skilled nursing facilities we service are mostly in the greater Indianapolis area, some surrounding counties, and as far as Columbus and Bloomington. So tell us a little bit about Candida Auris and its clinical implications. Candida Auris is one of the emerging pathogens it's identified. It's a fungus, and a lot of people have heard of candidal infections or fungal infections. This one's a little bit different, or a lot different, in that it tends to be very resistant to a lot of the traditional antifungal agents that we use out there. It's mostly seen in skilled nursing environments, in patients who are chronically ill, close proximity, maybe exposed to a lot of different antibiotics and a lot of chronic medical illnesses. It can cause severe infections, but usually starts out with very mild, indolent, vague symptoms that are very difficult to identify. And in these stages where it can be spread to other patients who are chronically ill, I think it's being followed very closely because it has a very high outbreak potential. So you mentioned a little bit about there are other candida species or other types of fungus. Other than the lack of treatment options, are there some other differences between the, the species that can cause infections? Other species tend to cause a little bit more obvious infection right out front. You know, a lot of people have had, they've seen like the skin, the yeast infections that we normally identify, you know, red rash and things like that. The biggest difference is these infections tend to be very difficult to diagnose, the Candida auris infections. They very often get mistaken for the other species and they get treated as if they are the other species with the more traditional antifungals and that infection doesn't abate, it doesn't go away. With more specialized diagnostic testing and cultures, do we find that it's Candida auris and requires more targeted therapy. The biggest difference is difficulty diagnosing the disease and then the difficulty treating the disease. It sounds like it's at the beginning phases, at least it is difficult to distinguish. So that's correct. That's yeah. You know, a lot, especially in these skilled nursing environments, it requires specialized testing that's not widely available outside of a hospital setting. Just to give you a frame of reference in my hospital, fairly small hospital, I've not seen one case of Candida auris that's been at least diagnosed in the facility. We just don't see it a whole lot. And if we've seen it, we may have you know, not been able to diagnose it because it requires infectious disease physician to kind of identify it and recognize it and test specifically for it. Well, tell us then a little bit about what experience you do have with Candida auris. 
to tell you the truth, Don, not a whole lot. I've had it pop up in a few patients in the skilled nursing environment, but mostly, so to speak, after the party's over. You know, it was identified in the hospital, treated in the hospital, and then the patient comes to the skilled nursing facility and they have a big tag on their chart saying candida oris and the treatment part and the diagnosis part has already passed. I've probably had a handful, I would say less than five patients that I've directly cared for that have had exposure to the illness itself. When you did have those patients in the, the nursing facility, how did staff react to that? Having, like you mentioned, C. oris on the chart. I tell you, the, uh, the reaction's been all over the board. I've had administrative personnel outright refuse a patient in the facility because of C. oris tag. In the wake of the pandemic, there's a lot of trepidation to take this new pathogen. You know, people are worried about outbreak potential and tags from the state of not handling it correctly. I think there's a lot of people being worried about mishandling the disease and ending up on front page of the news. And on the other side of the coin, because there's not a lot of information out there, you have people not respecting the disease, maybe being a little bit lax with the barrier precautions in the facilities and not treating it with the respect that it deserves. So you kind of have both sides of that coin, either a little bit too scared or not scared enough. Then there's the people that just don't know what it is. They've never heard of it before and they don't know how to react to it. And so they treat the patients just just the same as any other patient. I remember working in healthcare in a behavioral health unit, the mid stages of the HIV outbreak pandemic in the early 90s. There was a lot of, I would say, fear when we had a patient come in that that was HIV positive. Looking back on it now, you understand the proper precautions and what you need to do, and, and there wasn't really the need for that fear, but you have both sides of that. Yeah, and you find that even now with COVID-19, our knowledge with COVID-19 has come quite a far way since 2020. You have the sporadic COVID-19 patient that gets hospitalized or even in the facility. There's a lot more measured reaction to it than there used to be. You know, and that comes with education. You know, once the information's there, once the exposure to the disease is there, people will calm down about it or they will gain that respect for it once they realize what they need to be respecting. Yeah, that really just highlights the importance of education and, and knowledge of, of our healthcare Correct. teams. Absolutely. So are both healthcare workers that you work with aware of this organism now and what to do if there is a case? In anticipation of this interview, I actually went and polled the sampling of skilled nursing and hospital personnel. And really there isn't. People may have heard of it. They don't know what the big deal is. I think on the administrative level, people are very aware of it. A lot of people are not aware what to do if they have this patient in their lap. They know they need to contact the State Department of Health. They know they need barrier precautions. But beyond that, the reactions across the board. And I don't think enough people really know about the disease. That's not just nurses or administrative personnel. I think that even providers sometimes don't quite know how to handle it. You know, they don't know if there's anything specific they need to be doing for these patients or not. Let's take this opportunity. What do you think healthcare workers should know about it? The most important thing is prevention of the spread at this point in time. You have a patient who's sitting in their room and they're otherwise feeling well, well, you treat them like any other patient with the exception of strict barrier precautions. 
and all barrier precautions should be strict. I think it's just like with COVID-19, it's making sure you have your PPE present, proper hand washing techniques, because this is something that can spread to other patients fairly easily, and you're not going to see the symptoms of it. You know, you can have an outbreak in your facility and not know it for months. If there's one big takeaway point, it's proper cleanliness, barrier precautions, and enhanced cleaning of the rooms in between patients. We talked a little bit about, you know, some of the other you know, diseases and infectious diseases. The CDC recently made a statement about C. aureus that is spreading at alarming rates, and you talked about the important thing of being able to prevent this, the transmission. How would you compare C. aureus to other things like MRSA and SARS-CoV-2 or the viruses that cause COVID-19? Sure. It's an interesting comparison to make. A lot of this has to do with information, like we alluded to earlier. When I look at COVID-19, you know, seeing things from the hospital side and the, the skilled nursing facility side, a lot of bad information out there. People getting information from sources they may sh they probably shouldn't have or information getting put out there and being changed. See Oris information that's out there. Again, it's there's not a lot out there. I think that the response from the CDC and the Department of Health is very measured for for good reasons, you know, we don't want to start panic. And since it's a more measured response, we're not getting a lot of bad information. I don't think that mainstream media has really gotten a hold of this yet. So people aren't looking for information on Google yet. And so there's not that panic that's out there. I think that's the biggest difference between COVID-19 and Candida auris. The disease itself is very different. The spread, the illness itself, we're not seeing hospital systems being overwhelmed by this disease. The response is much different than with COVID-19. I think it's more measured. I think that, you know, we're making sure that the right information is getting out there and we're doing it in a way that's not going to induce panic. However, when you compare this to MRSA, especially 10, 15 years ago when MRSA kind of hit the mainstream view, it's a different environment. Post-pandemic, people are looking for that next big organism. They're looking for that next big thing to panic about. And, you know, with MRSA, it was an environment that wasn't ready to panic yet. Oh, you know, here's this bug. It's out there. We're going we're gonna to pay attention to it. But there wasn't this huge panic about it. I think that we can mishandle how Candida auris is put out there because this environment is ready to cling on to something. And that's why I think that measured response is important and making sure we do it correctly. And that's an important concern, just making sure that we don't cause a panic, but that we are getting the education across. Exactly. It's a very difficult balance to achieve in this medical environment. Well, and that's one of the reasons for our conversation today. So I, I appreciate you doing that, doing this conversation with us. Do you have any other concerns about C. auris? The main concern is just getting the information out there, I think, for right now. Treatment-wise, that's out of our hands right now. I mean, you know, we, we need other treatments for this because right now there's so few treatments that if there's a resistance developed to the treatments that are available, then, you know, we could be in a lot of trouble. So right now, the thing that we need to concentrate on is keeping this contained. The illusion I like to make is like a fire. You have this smoldering fire in the middle of a forest that's all dry. Right now, that fire is contained. We don't want that fire to catch and become a big thing. And that's where focus on 
precaution and preventing spread and barrier isolation is very important right now. That's a great analogy. You mentioned just the lack of treatments for CORs, that, that there's very few agents that are effective against it. Mm -hmm. That seems like a, a pretty large barrier to caring for, for patients that are that are infected. Are there other barriers? Diagnosis is the other barrier. Again, this is something that usually presents in patients who are already chronically ill. You know, these are patients who already don't feel well. They already have symptoms on a daily basis. So identifying another indolent symptom that may not be very obvious is challenging. And the diagnostic testing is not widely available outside of really a tertiary care hospital. This is a disease that is mostly prevalent in skilled nursing facilities that may already have a limited budget and can't spend money on an expensive test like this for a lot of patients who may be exhibiting symptoms consistent with the disease. That's a huge barrier. We already have infectious disease doctors that are fairly taxed and understaffed. And so the, the subspecialists that can help identify this disease are already focused on other things. Diagnosis and treatment are huge challenges. That's why the things that we can prevent or can focus on are preventing the spread. You know, thinking about preventing the spread, you know, you talked about contact isolation and barrier precautions, environmental care. Do you feel like healthcare workers are comfortable practicing those things already? I think so. Again, I think if we get that education there and stress the importance, stress the importance of A, not to panic, but B, to respect the disease and actually practice the enhanced barrier precautions that we're advocating for, even in a patient who doesn't look more ill than they normally do. The experience I've had in the skilled nursing environment are patients who have already been treated. They've been placed on their antifungal. They're not really ill appearing anymore, but they still have the potential to spread the disease. And so even though the patient isn't ill appearing, we still have to be practicing those barrier precautions the recommended length of time. So if you had to sum things up, what would you say your biggest takeaway for the people that are listening to this podcast are? Number one, make sure you're getting your education from the right sources. CDC, State Department of Health, that's number one. I think there's one big lesson that we needed to learn from COVID. It's get your information from the right places. I think the second point is respect the disease. Know that it's there. Know that we need to focus on prevention and preventing the spread. And third, one thing I've learned in the past couple of years is treat your patients. They may have C. auris, they may be colonized with it, but treat them as people. Educate your patients as well. Let them know that we're gonna manage this and we're still gonna treat you and we're gonna respect you as a person because it's very easy to get lost in the disease itself and forget that there's a person underneath that disease being part of the State Department of Health and seeing how we're rolling out information to facilities. I'm very encouraged by the response that's being taken. This is something that we can contain and we're, we're really working to get in front of it. I, I too appreciate the State Department of Health's focus on this and partnering with QSource on getting this information out has been a great opportunity for us um, and hopefully is, is helpful to the, the facilities and the, the providers we work with. Dr. Andres, thank you for being part of this conversation today and for talking with us and sharing your experience. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it very much. QSource would like to thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like to learn more, 
please visit us at qao.qsource.org. Visit our website for additional podcasts, videos, documents, and more. In addition to listening to QSource podcasts on our website, you can also find us on most media platforms, such as Apple, Google, Spotify, Podbean, and others.